Let us pray together. Father, it is our great desire to, as a congregation, to see the one who has saved us. We pray, O Lord God Almighty, that you would cause your Holy Spirit to so descend upon us that we would have the very eyes of our hearts opened afresh this morning to see the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for these moments together and ask for your Holy Spirit to do that supernatural work in our hearts. Give us a sense of your presence that we would, yes, even feel the sense and reality of your love. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 1 has that amazing moment when it would seem like after the moment of the introduction, then it has this arrival of the one who was preparing the way before the Lord, his suddenly coming to the temple, this strange figure called John, John the Baptist. He is really what we might call such a strange fellow because there he is, uh, what is it, it says that he's clothes are of camel's hair, a leather belt around his waist, his food, locusts, and wild honey. And as you would picture this strange figure, it almost smells like the Old Testament. There is something here about him that you realize it is the very culmination of the whole of that preparation that was coming for centuries. The Lord Jesus Christ speaks of him and says in Matthew eleven eleven, I tell you the truth, among those born of women, there is not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet, he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. How is that? How is it that he is considered the greatest among all those who have been born of women to this point? And certainly, it is the reality that he is the one who is, has, at this moment, the greatest privilege of all. The whole of the Old Testament was but types and shadows, promises and prophecies of one who was coming. In fact, the whole of it can be summed up. He's a common. He's a common. And then John the Baptist says, he's here. It's a moment like no other moment has been in all history. He's here. He's here. There's something here that's amazing. The Messiah has come. All the culture that was prepared through all those centuries and the moment has a climax. The greatest of all those born of women to this point, he's here. God prepared the man for the hour and the hour for the man, John the Baptist. And there is his statement. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. As we come to this communion table, we need to see what John portrayed before us right now together. Great words, pregnant of new life and love, pregnant with hope and health. Take those first words, the Lamb of God. It's actually a unique 
used only here by John the Baptist. Yes, he's spoken of Jesus as the Lamb in different places, but this unique title, the Lamb of God, is unique to John the Baptist. There's something here that is a whole culture, as we've said, coming together. The Lamb of God. He is the one that Lamb that God has provided. You remember something of that background of that amazing moment when Abraham, who was the one that God had chosen to bring his promise to the nations through him, and it was through his son Isaac, that was where the promise was. No other but through Isaac, the one son that I love, the one and only son, and God tells him to go and sacrifice him on Mount Moriah. And you remember that amazing moment when the two of them are going up together, father and son, and the son has that question, Father, here is the wood. Here is that which would be the wood and the fire that was prepared. And Abraham even had the knife. But where is the sacrifice was Isaac's words. Where is the sacrifice? And Abraham replies, God will provide. God will provide for himself the lamb. And of course, yes, just in that moment with the knife raised, God, the angel of the Lord, appears and there is provision of a sacrifice. Here is the provision that God has given The Lamb of God. God has provided this one. This one uniquely. Secondly, we certainly remember that this is the one that we would speak of as the Passover Lamb. All of that history of their being in slavery in Egypt. It comes to a culmination in that night when they were told they were to sacrifice a lamb. And they would take the blood of that lamb and put it up over the doorpost, yes, on the doorpost on the side and up above the door, and yes, judgment was to come upon all those who did not have the blood of the lamb in their home. Here is the one that is spoken of by Paul in 1 Corinthians 5, 7. He is our Passover lamb. He is the one that shields us from all the wrath of God. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. It is real. He came to give his life for us. And yes, there is a sense in which when we read through the Old Testament, how can we not but read that of Isaiah? Begins in Isaiah 52, and it goes through that whole background of of how this one was to come disfigured and all that was about him as we would think of the crucifixion. But when we turn to Isaiah, we certainly have that element. And turn with me to Isaiah 52. We begin in verse 13, and it comes through verse chapter 53. Verse 4, surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. And we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. 
the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We are, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. There is something there that as we come to this statement of, Behold the Lamb of God, he is that Lamb who was taken as to the slaughter. He was that pure Lamb of God, that one of whom we can say that he was without sin, like a lamb to the slaughter in our place. Yes, for our sins. Personally, if you're united to Christ, he died for you personally. Then you know, there was something that went on every day in the Jewish world. Even when the Romans were attacking and ready to destroy Jerusalem, as they were attacking them, they kept on. Every morning, there was a sacrifice of a lamb. And every evening, at twilight, there was a sacrifice of a lamb. Through centuries, every morning, every evening, there was a sacrifice of a lamb. The daily offering for sin was a lamb. When we come to this passage, to think of centuries, every morning, every evening, this goes on, on, and on. Jesus Christ, in his work on our behalf, he shouts from the cross, not something in weakness, but he shouts that great, to tell us die, it is finished. He has accomplished all that the sacrifices of every day were meant to be for, or were a shadow of what he came to do. Wow. This one came as the Lamb of God. And our prayer this morning is that somehow we will sense that element of what he has done on our behalf, that we will really know something of what great love his being the Lamb of God on our behalf. That we would see from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet, or thorns compose so rich a crown? Should that not touch our hearts? And if it doesn't, Oh, would we cry out to God, there's something terribly wrong with us, that if the one who made all things would show such love for us, and it doesn't touch us. But notice this great contrast. John the Baptist says something here that is shocking. Shocking to the Jewish world. Think about it with me for a moment. These Jews, they thought they were the only chosen people in the world. In fact, we have statements during that time from different writers, Jewish, that said that 
The Gentiles would be used for the fires of hell. We are God's people. John says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Wow. That's drastic. I don't think we understand how radical that was at that moment. The sins of the world. That included those Gentiles. We are, by and large, goyim, Gentiles here. We were excluded. What a contrast. The lamb, pure, without sin, holy, the sin of the world. Now, it's almost, a, you might think, as we look about the world, they would think some sins are, are too filthy, too ugly. But Christ took upon him the sin of the world. Maybe it's good for us to read and be reminded of how some of those sins sound. Turn to 1 Corinthians, the real world that Paul lived in. And uh, just to read that afresh, almost it's uh, what would be called in our day not politically correct, or I don't know what else it might be called. You say it and you'd be excluded from your job if you said it publicly. But 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor the drunkards, nor the slanders, nor the swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. There's no sin too filthy. He washes clean. That's what it's all about. This is that amazing, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Takes away. And it has that element of world that it's every language, every tribe, every people, all the nations, that one human race It's all included. Takes away. There's no nation or people excluded. In that sense, it's unlimited. In its power and in its scope. But at the same time, there is a sense in which we must speak very carefully that there's that word that is so important that is there takes away. We could even translate it that it is that which would take upon him, put upon him. It's a very personal element. We call that substitutionary atonement, that he died in our place, personally, very real. Yes, wide as scope as it can be, at the same time, it's for those come to have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Taking upon himself, present tense, he bore our iniquities. He had put upon him our filthiness, and he bore it away. Altogether, 
this morning. What does it say? Whoever believes with the heart is saved. It's washed away. It's, again, believing with the heart. It's not some list of words that you pray or nodding the head or tipping your hat, but in the heart to truly believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and to know him takes upon himself our pride, our hatred, our unforgiveness. We know the verse, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. How beautiful. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Nothing is more beautiful in all of our filthiness. He takes that upon himself and gives to us his righteousness, standing before God in him. There's a little word that begins what John says. It's only three letters in the Greek language, ide, an I-D-E, It's just a little word. We translate it, behold, or look. And yet I don't really think it's a command. I really, reading this in context, I think it says something very different than a command. Look, behold. I really believe what we have here is John the Baptist at a moment that's so amazing to him. He says, wow, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I'm seeing it finally. All that we've seen and prepared, whoa, he's here. He's here at his temple, this glorious Savior. Look, centuries of climax in this one moment, beginning with Moses and the prophets, we are told that they speak of him. We are told that the Spirit of Christ by Peter was was in those prophets speaking of Christ to come. Yes, there's something interesting in our very passage that's uh, right after this, he repeats the Lamb of God on the next day, and it says there are two disciples, I think maybe one of them was John himself, and the other was Andrew. And it says when he heard the Lamb of God, that's all, just that title, he then began to follow Jesus. Oh, that we could see this with the eyes of our heart and have that following of the Lord that comes upon us as those disciples of old. We come to remember what he's done for us, but we come to see him when we come to the table. We come to taste of the bread, drink of the cup, and remember what he has done for us. The Lamb of God who takes away our sin, my sin, your sin. How are we today seeing him? We're just ordinary people, all of us here. There's a few important people here maybe. I don't know. We could point them out. But I think for the most part, we're probably a little below average in the, as we gather here. We're drifting in one way or the other. We're sinning, suffering, disappointed at times, struggling with life. But we come to this table to see him. 
And if we see him, it changes everything. If we don't see him, everything else that we see really doesn't have meaning. It's really losing its flavor right away. But if we see him, it changes everything. We come to the table. And he's not here just to scold us. He's not here saying, you come to my table this morning, but you really don't. You shouldn't even be here. And we're all honest. We know that's true. And yet, he invites us. He invites us in such a way because his grace is good and glorious. And it's great. He wants us to come and enjoy him. There's an invitation here. Come to the table in joy that he is our Passover lamb. Enjoy that he is our substitute that takes away the wrath of God, bears our sins. Yes, come to him. And there is a beauty that all the daily failures and sins, infirmities and difficulties he takes upon himself. He is our daily sacrifice. It's good. It's good. It's no longer he's a coming. He's here. And as we sing at the end of that hymn, it's not only that he came and died on the cross for our sins, was buried and rose again, but he is now, yes, at the Father's right hand, praying for us. He really does care. He loves us. All those who are joined to him, all of us, we come to the table to have joy and rejoicing this day. We see him. No longer is it he's a coming. He's here for us and promised that he will come again in power and glory. The lamb has so loved us that we are his bride. We witnessed a wedding just recently. We're his bride. And it's not just maybe he's given himself for us that we would be that brilliant, glorious bride of his forever. That's really the wraparound story of the whole Bible. It's not a thousand other things. They all fit under that, that before the foundation of the world, he loved us and has given himself for us. We belong to him, and he loves us forever. Let's pray. As our heads are bowed, I would remind those who are here this day who have never really come to faith in Christ, I would urge you to look to Christ. See him. Stop blaming others by finding fault in everyone and everything else around you. Really believe in him. And if you're here as a Christian and you find yourself not seeing him, trying to trust in a thousand other things that might change in your life so that life will be what you want it to be, do you really believe that a better spouse or a better job or a better boss or more money would finally give you meaning and remove your sin. The reality is that many of the world's most successful people believe this, and they run from one new thing to another new thing, 
changing partners, changing settings constantly. I would plead with all of us afresh to look and see the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Father, we do ask for your blessing upon our time together as we come to this holy time to behold the Lamb, this time of holy communion. O Lord God Almighty, come and visit us through your Holy Spirit. We pray, Father, for that Holy Spirit presence. Touch our hearts, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.